Well, let's just lift up our hands. Father, we just thank you for your presence here today. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you've already taken hold with us. I think that you've already been preaching the message before we've even preached the message. I thank you, Lord, that we don't just have to look for words, that we can live it out. We can experience your goodness. Just like David said, I, I would have lost heart. I would have despaired. I would have become hopeless if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of God right here in the land of the living. So, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what you have for us in your word right now. We give you honor. We give you time. We've made ourselves available. and We just say thank you. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. How's everybody doing this morning? Oh, hallelujah. I don't know. I'm just so excited to be continuing on in our series that we're doing. You know, I love that song, Jessica. I love when you sing Available. You know, it's just, it's good to remind ourselves, God, when I make myself self available, that's when you show up. That's when you bring opportunities. That's when you open doors for me. When I said, oh, I'm here, I'm available. And I, I, I think this morning, I'm like, oh, that beautiful weather that we've got, people make themselves unavailable because they'd rather be on the water. Well, I'd rather let the water flow through me, the waters of the Holy Spirit. I would rather come in and charge myself up you know, come on, James, James, you came to hook back up again this week. You know, last week I was preaching right to James, and y'all got to let benefit from what the Holy Spirit was speaking to him. He's come to hook his, his jumper cables right back up into the anointing of the Lord. Yes. Come on, have you come to do the same? Yes. Have you come to do the same? Yes. We're continuing on in our series this morning on the believer's authority. Come on, there is, for the season that we live in, there is nothing more important than for us to be going over the believer's authority. Jesus said, behold, I give you power. I give you authority over all of the works of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That is just such a statement. He said, when I give you authority, nothing should hurt you. He said also that I, all power and all authority has been given unto me. You therefore go and you do something with us. And so in this time, in the season we live on, we can't live on yesterday's bread. We can't live on yesterday's manna. We can't live on yesterday's experience. We need to go forth today in the power and the authority that God has given to us. We should go and be strong and do great exploits for the Lord in this day. Come on. The testimonies of yesterday are great. But I look forward to hearing more of the healing testimonies like last week's testimony, John. Of God healing his daughter, bringing out of, out of that coma, healing that brain, bringing her memory back to her. Those are just the taste of what is to come. Jesus said that the works that I do, you'll do also because I go in greater, because I go unto my Father. And so in the day that we live in, we need to understand the power and the authority that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And this is foreign to a lot of the body of Christ. Because the reality is that religion has created weak and passive Christians. Oh, come on. Don't disconnect. I'm not talking about you. We're talking about the power and the authority that you stand in. But the reality is, most of the body of Christ is standing back saying things like, Oh, God's in control. Really? Is, is God in control? If so, he's a monster. Oh, come on, don't get quiet on me here this morning. If God is really in control, 
and orchestrating everything right now and everything that happens is because he wants it to happen, he's a monster. We wouldn't put up with that from a natural father. So why would we believe that our heavenly father, who is love, who is good, and that all good things just flow out of him, that he in him is light and in him there is no darkness. And so when we say things like, oh, God's in control, what we're saying is, I don't want to do anything. Let, I'm just going to sit back and let God do whatever he wants. Come on. We say things like, oh, you know, God is sovereign. You just never know what he's going to do. I, I, I beg to differ. The, whole, the, the Bible says in Hebrews, it says that eye has not seen, ear has prepared, or heard what the things that God has prepared for us. And we go, well, we just can't know. Well, the next verse says, but his spirit has revealed them to us. And the reason why Christians say things like that is because they're trying to abdicate responsibility. Come on. Come on. I know we're coming out flying this morning and we're hitting some heavy things right off the bat. But you need to be able to hear some heavy things. Because heavy things are going to come your way. And when you understand who you are in Christ Jesus, when you understand the authority and the power that he's been given to you, man, you don't put up with stuff. Come on, the body of Christ has put up with way too much, way too much garbage. Go ahead and say, not me. And so religion has created a lot of weak and passive Christians, but uh, that's because they don't understand who they are. But as it continues to reveal what, what God has made you to be in Christ Jesus, you know what happens? A fire begins to burn in your belly. And when situations come up in front, rather than saying, well, I guess I'll just sit back and see what God will do, you go, no, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to work with him. I'm going to walk with him. I'm going to speak in line with him. When he says, stretch forth my hand to heal, I'm going to go ahead and stretch forth my hand. When he goes ahead and says, speak those words, I'm going to go ahead and speak those words. Because of what, what he said in his word was that you are his feet on this earth. That you are his mouthpieces on this earth. That you are his ambassadors on this earth. Which means that he's expecting you to work with him and walk with him and be excited with him and walk in miracles with him. And so it doesn't matter what religion has done. We are talking about what God has done for us. And he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And so we need to understand this concept because if we don't, we'll be sitting back saying, God, please do something about it. And he's saying, would you please do something about it? Would you please speak to him? Because he said, if you shall speak unto this mountain and say, be cast into the sea and believe in your heart that it shall be done, it will be done. And so we can't afford to be passive. When things come up, we stand up. And when the enemy comes bringing garbage our we, we say, no, I'm not the dump. Come on. I'm not the dump. And so we have to be careful of the different mentalities that we take on. Just because other people think certain ways doesn't mean we need to. Come on. You know, Paul, when he was t- teaching t- Timothy and he was writing to him to encourage him, he was saying in the last days, people are going to do stupid things. Yeah. Basically, if you want to boil it down, he says, they're going to love themselves. They're going to be lovers of money. They're going to be lovers of all these things. And it says that they'll have a form of godliness, but they'll be denying its power. And he says, and from such people, turn away. Don't let people spew their garbage into your ears and into their, your mind. You just go ahead and say, uh-huh, well, that's great, but that's not me. I know my God. I know what he's got for me. 
Come on. Yeah. You know, people will, if you give them the chance, they will unload all of their garbage and they will talk and talk all of their negativity and their pessimism. But uh, we're not raising pessimists here. We're raising hope-filled people. Amen? Amen? Even in Paul's most trying time, he prayed to God. And what was going on is as he's going around and he's, 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 he's really working hard. Paul said the grace of God made him labor more abundantly than everybody else. And as he was working through all these different cities and raising up churches and encouraging people and building them, what was happening is behind, there was a bunch of people called the Judaizers who were coming around behind them and they were going, John, you know, that's really great that you've been saved by grace. It's really great about all that wonderful thing that God has done, but you've got to keep the law too. You've got, you got to do all this. You've got to keep all these feasts. You've got to do it. And so everything that Paul was preaching to them, they were coming around behind him and trying to undo it. And Paul was getting frustrated, and he was tired, and he's like, God, is it really all worth it? And it says that he prayed to God three times. God, take this away from me. God, you do something with it, is basically if we want to boil it down. You do something about this, God. Please help me do it. And God's response to him was, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Meaning there's more than enough grace in the situation you're standing in. Even though your outlook is saying that it's bad, Paul, there's more grace than you need in this moment. Come on. And sometimes we feel like we just don't have the tools. We just don't have the strength. You got it. And not only is it just a little bit, it's enough. It is sufficient for you to walk the whole way through. And then he said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And what was he saying to Paul? He's saying, when you give up your own ability and your own strength, that's when you'll find mine. That's when you'll find mine. And we're not supposed to be doing it in our strength. We're supposed to be doing it in his strength. And whenever you have a situation come up and you got to stand up to it, don't stand up in what you bring to the table because what you brought is not much. But what he brought is enough. And he said, so my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. And he says this statement that most people don't like. He says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. Most people are like, aren't going like, oh, I'm so happy I've got another problem to go through, God. Come on. When was the last time the car broke down and you're like, oh, thank you, God, for this opportunity to believe you and walk through? Come on. This is just a different level of thinking. When was the last time someone was attacking you and trying to undermine you at work and you were like, thank you, God, for another opportunity to stand in your hope and I know that I'm coming through the other side. Yeah. Come on, we don't often think like this. We're like, how dare they say that about me? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. And he says, I will gladly rather boast in my infirmities or my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So when you don't have anything to bring to the situation, that's a good place to be in because Jesus brought everything. He brought everything to the table. And I love that the verse says that he who did not spare his only son but gave him up for you, how shall he not with him also freely give you all things? So if you don't have enough to bring to the table, you're sitting at the wrong table. Remember, we started this year talking about how I am hungry for the things of God. I want to sit at the master's table. I want to partake of his feast. Yeah. Yeah. His table has good things for us to eat from. Yeah. 
And so when Paul, going through this, this hard time in his life where it felt like everything he was doing, people were then trying to undo as he went behind. And God said to him, you've got more than enough strength because my strength is with you. And so out of those moments like that, we get verses like Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, where he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. How can Paul say that? Because he's lived it. He's lived it. And so when you feel like you can't be strong, he says, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. If you can choose to stir one thing up, stir yourself up in the Lord. If you can choose to remind yourself about one thing, remind yourself about his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his love. If you have one thing to think about, what are you going to choose to think about? Think on good things, whatever is true, whatever is lovely. Stir yourself up and brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And he says, and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on every tool, whatever equipment God has given you to walk in, go ahead and put it on. Put on love, put on peace, put on righteousness, put on faith. Come on, get your gospel shoes on. Get the sword of the spirit out and get using it. Come on. He gave you a shield that blocks everything the enemy throws your way. He gave you a sword to cut him down when he stands up in front of you. If you've got an obstacle, you've got something that will move it. But we would rather listen to verses that like this in 1 Corinthians 15 that say, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love that verse. I quote it all the time. But we don't stand back and say, Oh God, I thank you. I thank you that you just, you know, whatever needs to happen is just going to happen. He says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. But the next verse says, therefore, or because of that, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. If you're going to have to be steadfast and immovable, come here, Christopher. If you're going to be immovable, that means something's going to try and move you. Something's trying to move you, which means you're going to have to stand your ground. Come on, you're going to have to stand your ground. It's going to come at you, and you're going to have to stand and be immovable in the power of God. Because we often think that, oh, it's okay, God will move it. No, he said, you be immovable. He'll cause you to stand. And sometimes you standing is what is needed. Because everything else that's moving around you, it's moving for a reason. Because it's leaving the scene. So he says, be steadfast and immovable. Which means that there's going to be things that will come up in your life that are going to try and move you. We're talking about hope. In case we forgot where we are. This is week four of talking about hope. Having a confident expectation of good things to come. But there's something you need to know about hope. It thrives in the face of adversity. Now, especially here in, here in the faith camp, we get this idea that just because we're blessed and we have faith is that problems will never come our way. And then we think when a problem comes up, something's wrong. Come on. We often think, well, where did I miss it, God? You probably didn't. Trials will come your way. 
But the difference is you get to overcome them. That's, that's the difference. When you were in the world, problems came your way and they got to overtake you. Now that you stand in Christ, his goodness overtakes you. And so why would you need hope if you've never been in a hopeless situation? Hope thrives where there is a problem. And every story of hope begins with an obstacle. So maybe right now you walked in here this morning and you're writing a new story of hope because there's an obstacle in front of you. Come on. I know I, I came in here and I've got baggage. I know I'm not the only one who walked the door, through the door with baggage, has things going on in my life, but I'm writing a story of hope. I'm, I'm choosing to say I'm coming out the other side, and I know by faith I will. And when the obstacles pop up, and you may have many in your life, it's just another opportunity to say I'm writing a new story of hope. Come on, guys, let's think about the Bible. Every story in the Bible started with a problem. And that's the only reason it's in the Bible. So that you can know how to overcome the problem. Come on. <laughs> Every problem is overcomable. He gives us the victory and will be steadfast and immovable. And we think that, you know, oh, we're just going to go from glory to glory to glory. And that's great. We are going from glory to glory to glory. But just because it's going to glory to glory doesn't mean that there's a glory problem. I'm hopping over it to glory. And I quoted in the last two weeks, I brought up the story of Jabez. And how he said to God, God, expand me. Enlarge my territory. And then God did it. But there's more to the story of Jabez, even in the only two verses that he's mentioned, than what we said. And so let's take a look at it in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. You doing okay this morning? In 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and in verse 9 it says, Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Which is a good statement. Now we don't know the context of how this word is being used here because there's only two verses on Jabez. But the word here for honorable is the word kabod. It means he was weighty. It could be referring to his status in the community, that he held power, he held authority. It could mean that he was a very rich man already, because the read the, where glory and honor comes from, it means to weigh down. And it has to do, when you were carrying around a lot of money back then, it was gold and silver and it was heavy. So the more you had, the heavier or the weightier it was. And that's the word that's used here, is Jabed was more kabod than his brothers. So he was either more influential, or he was more rich, or he was just a really good guy, and everybody knew that they could trust his word, and that whatever he said, he would do. But the next part is the interesting part that we need to focus on here. It says, and his mother called his name Jabez, because I bore him in pain. So it seems kind of weird and out of context, unless you know that the name Jabez means he will cause pain what a name to name your kid man that must have been some traumatic birth experience that she was just like this boy he's gonna cause this world some trouble so i'm gonna name him he will cause pain and you got to think that like we talked about abraham last week where he was walking around saying i'm the father of many nations every time jabez is go coming on the situation he's going 
I will cause pain. <laughs> Come on. What a horrible prophecy to speak over your child. And in spite of that, he still became a more honorable man than his brothers, a more influential man. And in the, the situation that we find him in, it says, And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed, and that you would enlarge my territory, and that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause and we focus on enlarge my territory. We don't know how large his territory was. We don't know how rich he was other than that he was considered kabod. And God didn't say back to him, I'm not going to make you bigger. You're already big enough. I'm not going to make you richer. You're already rich enough. But I think it was the next part that really moved God. That I may not cause pain. I'm having a different outlook, God. I don't want what my mother spoke over me to be my future. Come on. I don't want what they said about me to be where I'm going. What are we talking about? We're talking about hope. It's a confident expectation of good things to come. So rather than him having an expectation that I'll live out my name, he's saying, I want to set my own destiny. And what I'd like, God, is I'd like to have my territory expand. Bless me, Lord. Let your empowerment to prosper in all things rest upon me and help me be released from my former destiny into my new destiny. And sometimes you have to let go of what was so that you can stand in what will be. And that's the message of hope is that whatever it is now is subject to change. And whatever problem stands before you is now subject to change. Whatever pain is in your body right now is subject to change. Whatever lack may be standing in front of you is subject to change. Whatever broken relationship that needs to be restored is subject to change. Whatever child who's walked away is subject to change. Whatever doors that have been closed in front of you are subject to change. That is hope. It is a confident expectation of good things to come. And whatever's been said, we go ahead and we break it now in the name of Jesus. We break off those chains. We break off those soul ties. And we change that thinking. Because every story of hope begins with an obstacle. But obstacles get moved every day. And so with that in mind, let's go over and look at Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. I like Peter. Peter's one of those great characters of the Bible. He, we know he, he's a good one to look at, especially if you've made some mistakes, because he made a lot. And if we think about the story of the cross and the story of Jesus, um, you know, we often think of Judas as being the only one who screwed up. But Peter screwed up, too. And both of them take, took two very different routes of rectification, Right? Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And what did he do? He denied him three times. And for every denial, God had a point of restoration. 
After his re resurrection, he came to Peter and he said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, you know I do. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? You know I do. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Jesus, you know I did. Feed my little lambs. For every denial, there was a restoration. In the same way with you. For every time you've fallen, every time you've slipped up, every time you've messed up as you thought I'm un unredeemable, there's a forgiveness there. His forgiveness knows no bounds. He says, if you've screwed up, come before me and say, I screwed up, and he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's a great thing. It doesn't matter what you've done. There's forgiveness for you. I've told this story many, many times. I was watching a documentary on prisons years and years ago, and they were interviewing a guy on death row. His execution was coming up. And in his time on death row, he found Jesus. And so as he was interviewing with the, the lady that was going through the prison, he, he was telling her, he's like, I found hope in Jesus. And I know that he's forgiven me. He said, I, I will pay for what I've done here on this earth. But I know my heavenly father has forgiven me. And when they put the needle in my arm, I'm going to be with Jesus. And you know what she said to him? I can't believe in a God who would ever accept you. And the thing is, if you've screwed up in one little bit, you've screwed up in it all. And so if you're talking about, I, I cursed someone out one day, or I've murdered someone, it's all in the same in the eyes of God. There's forgiveness. He wipes it away. You may have some natural consequences on this earth for your actions, but there is forgiveness in every area today. So Peter is one of those stories. Because Peter and Judas took two different routes. Peter received forgiveness from Jesus. He stuck along through the process. Judas took his own life and never got to that moment. And so Peter's one of those great characters, and I love something that he said in 1 Peter chapter 1. You ready? You found your place there? He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy. Everyone say that with me. His mercy. Because of his mercy and what he's done, he has begotten us again. Again is a great word, which means it's not the first time. Because sometimes we think, like, you know, he forgave me the first time, but what about the next time? And what if it's the 50th time? I don't know why I'm spending so much time on this this morning. I don't know. Maybe if you're watching us online, we'll, we'll look at them. God has forgiven you. I'll do that so you don't have to look at yourself, okay? <laughs> again. I love the verse where it says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of his people. Which means he had to help, help them out of bondage once, and did it again, and he'll do it again. He'll do it again. He'll do it again. It says, when the Lord, his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now that word begotten is an interesting word. On the surface it just means to produce again. He's produced some things in you again. Or he's caused you to be born again. But sometimes when we're using words, what they mean in the, in the, when you break it down just isn't how we use it. Right? Example. 
You ever had like a great experience and you were like, oh, that was just insane. Or that was crazy, that situation. Are you saying that the, that, that the situation has a mental imbalance? No, you were saying it was amazing. So the definition doesn't fit the usage. And here with this word begotten, the definition does not fit the usage. Do you want to know what the usage, how it's used? It is used to mean to have one's mind changed so that he lives a new life and one that is conformed to the will of God. And so when it says that he has begotten you to a living hope, he's worked you through the process so that you change your thinking so that you have a new life. Your old thinking will get you your old life, John. But your new thinking has brought you into all these things that have been opening up before you. That, those doors that you've been seeing open, that's because you've been taking time to do what the Word of God has asked you to do and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And as you pursue me, John, I will open up more doors before you. I will give you new opportunities that you'll say, I didn't even look for this one. But the new way of thinking has produced a new way of living. And that new way of living will open up to transform hearts in a way that you've been seeing in your heart as you've knelt down before me in prayer and you saw hearts transformed. You've seen people saying, I need Jesus. I need all that you have for me. He's bringing you into that place through the new way of thinking. Hallelujah. When he says he's begotten you, he's changing your mind, your thought process, so that you can live a new life. One that is conformed to the will of God. You know, we, don't, we often make the, the idea, the concept of the will of God, of having to do something that we don't really want to do. But that's not true at all. Being conformed to the will of God means that I, I walk into all the things that he's planned for me. And he's purpose for me. That I walk into goodness. I walk into love. I walk into provision. I walk into opportunities where things just go my way and I didn't even have to try. That's being conformed to the will of God. That's walking with him. Walking out the process. And so he's begotten us again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a living hope. It's a hope that is alive. And in this day, what I've been saying for the last three weeks, and this is week number four on hope, let hope rise again because hope is alive on the inside of you. Maybe you've been trying hard to keep it down and be like, shut up, I don't want to have to change. Oh, come on, I know I've been there. Where he's trying to pull you into something deeper. He's trying to take you into a new place and you're like, I like where I am. It's comfortable. But he's begotten you to a living hope. Now, just thinking of it as a living hope is great. Thinking of it as a living hope is great. But the King James ver Version actually got the translation a little better. It says he's begotten you again to a lively hope. Come on. It's not just a living hope. It's a lively. It's an exciting hope. And the word that's used here is lively. It's zao. And it means to enjoy real life. To have a true life worthy of the name. To be active, blessed, 
and endless in the kingdom. He's called you to an exciting experience that you come in and you find people that are broken and hurting and you bring life to them and you come back and you share that testimony and you're like, my God, that's so exciting. Man, when we come to church, there should be so many testimonies going on of being this amazing thing happened this week and this thing happened and you have one and I have one because we've been all called to a lively hope, a life that is active and blessed and endless into the kingdom. He has called you to enjoy life even in the midst of the problem. Oh, you forgot that that's what we were talking about, right? Even in the midst of the problem, in the face of adversity, in the face of opposition, you can enjoy real life. Hallelujah. And so he's begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And not only that, he's begotten you to an inheritance Unincorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. Come on, that living hope, that inheritance, it's unchangeable. That's what incorruptible means, right? It means you can take all the garbage in the world, you can pour it on top of it, and it doesn't change. Why? Because it's not based on you, it's based on God. And I love that statement that says that does not fade away because it reminds me of something else the Bible had to say. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we call it the love chapter. And we often use it in like weddings and, you know, to talk about how much people love each other. Oh, this is how you're supposed to love others and love your spouse. And that's not what the chapter is about at all. Who is love? God. That chapter is describing the character of God. And if you haven't read that chapter in the Amplified Bible, I really encourage you to go home, look it up, and read what it says about God. But in verse 7 of chapter 13 in the Amplified, here's something about the character of God. God, we'll just substitute love for God, bears up under anything and everything that comes. Just think about that. He bears up under everything, including the problem that you're in, including the obstacle that you're facing, everything that comes. He's ever ready to believe the best of every person. That kind of sounds a little bit like love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Come on. Love that person who's been making your life a living hell. Love that person who's been trying to undermine you. Love that person who is suing you. Love that person who just tried to have your kids expelled. Love that person. Come on, you can fit whatever you want in there. I remember uh, probably about six, seven years ago, we got broken into here. And uh, we, we lost a bunch of equipment and stuff like that, totaling thousands of dollars. And insurance was like, yeah, you're on your own. <laughs> and the police were like, yeah, we're not going to do anything. And I remember the police brought me in. And they're like, we'd like you to write a victim impact station statement. He's like, you can bring it to me like next week or whatever. And so I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do it, whatever. And as I, the next day, I pulled up the paper and I found out the people that had done it had been arrested and already released with zero consequences. I'm like, why would I write a victim impact statement when their judge has already tossed the whole thing out? 
and they're unwilling to help. And so we came that next Sunday morning, we came in and I stood up and I said, hey, we've been broken into and this is what's happened. We are going to pray for those people right now. We're going to love on them. And I remember somebody yelled out loud, that's really hard to do. I'm like, yeah, life is hard. <laughs> but we love in the face of adversity. We love in the face of opposition. And God bears up under everything and anything that comes, he's ever ready to believe the best of every person. And his hopes are fadeless under all circumstances. And he endures everything without weakening. And so if we have a living hope and an inheritance that is incorruptible, that does not fade away, it's because God's hopes never. And we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So the next verse he goes and he says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. And so in the midst of a living hope, Peter goes and tells us and says, Yeah, that's going to happen. But I love that he said a little while. Because when problems come, we often kind of pack up, camp, set up camp and be like, this is how it's going to be. I, I, I got to tell you this morning, it's not how it's going to be. Right. What is happening is temporary. I preached a message based off a country song many years ago now. And it's if you're going through hell, keep on going. Because you might just get out before the devil even knows you're there. I'm sure you've heard the song. And that's so true and still true today. If you've got a problem, keep moving. It's not your home. It's not your destination. It's just what you're passing through on the way. And as David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no with evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So here we, here's what we got to know about hope. That a problem isn't your problem. A problem isn't your problem. For hope, a problem is actually a prerequisite because you don't need hope if you don't got a problem. Why do you hope in what you already see? For hope exists in the realm of what is not seen. So we stir up hope in the midst of a problem. How did we get here? How did we get this far into hope? We're talking about hope. Confident expectation of good things to come. How did we get here? Well, we got here because that's what Paul prayed for us. In Ephesians chapter 1, he said that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation into the knowledge of you. That your eyes would be opened. They would be enlightened or flooded with light so that you can know take that two ways. One, that we may know the hope we've been called to. He wants you to know that you've been called to a hope of life, a life of hope. Say it right. You have been called to a life of hope. But there's also something else. 
Second way we can take what he said here is that you can have hope in what you've been called to. And whatever God has asked you to do, you have hope. Whether it's a street sweeper, whether it's a lawyer, whether it's a pastor, whether it's cremating people, James, whatever you've been called to, you have hope. And in this day, we have hope. Hope thrives in the midst of the face of adversity. And in today, Tope, why don't you play a little music for a second? Today, the Holy Spirit had this message strong on my heart for today. And there was people that needed to be here to hear it. But you were here. You were here. Because there's something that's about to happen across the body of Christ. There is something that's about to happen across the body of Christ. That there's a revival of gifts being stirred up. There's a revival of callings that people have left to the side. Saying, oh, I'm going to go do my thing, God. Well... We often forget that the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. What he's created you to be, that's what you were designed to be. And you will be not happy anywhere else other than doing what he's asked you to do in the gift that he's given to you. So maybe you're watching us this morning on the internet and you couldn't be here with us this morning. There's a hope for you. There's a hope. It doesn't matter what comes in the next few weeks. And in the next few months, it doesn't matter what the obstacle is, hope needs to rise up right now in the name of Jesus. And so why don't you guys go ahead and stand to your feet with me. And I would love to pray with you this morning. Father God. You know what's going on in each and everyone's life here right now this morning. You know what's going on in the life of the people that are watching right now via the internet. You know everything that's standing in front of them. You know what's right ahead of them. Right now, God, we speak peace to the journey. We speak to the obstacles. And we thank you right now that they're already fallen that you've already made a way of escape in the face of every trial and every adversity. You've already made a way of escape. And so right now, God, I ask that you stir up hope again in everyone here and in myself, that we would learn to hope again, God, that we would revive the vision of what you've called us to, that you would revive our hearts unto your spirit, revive our hearts unto your word and what you've said, and that we would not be passive in a season where we've been called to action, that we would not be complacent when we've been called to move, that in this season, that there would rise up on the inside of us, in the name of Jesus, such a passion and a heart and a hope again, in Jesus' name that there would be a fire that burns anew in us right now in the name of Jesus, that our hearts would be called to action and that we would move where you want us to move and that we would do what you've called us to do, Father, that we would stretch forth our hands to heal when you've given an opportunity, that we would speak those words of wisdom and encouragement. Oh, Father, we thank you that you reveal the hidden things and the deep things, Father. You flood light into the darkness. 
And so, Father, we thank you that in every situation we know what to do and we know where we're going and we know whose we are and we know what we have available to us. We have a hope again in Christ Jesus. Yes, we do. We have a hope again in Christ Jesus. No matter the storm, I know I'm safe with you. Yes, Jesus. No matter the wall, I know I'm breaking through. Yes, Lord. When vision begins to fade, I stir it anew in you. And Lord, this day, I choose to hope in you. Yes, Father. And so we thank you for the hope that's set before us. We thank you for your joy. In this day I have healing, healing for my soul. In this day I'm changing, oh yes, my body's being restored, come on. And in this day I see you clearly. Well, in a moment, our, our Word Care team is going to be up here at the front. If you need prayer for anything, if you'd love to give your heart to Jesus, today's the day. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking tongues, today's the day. If you need someone to believe with you for breakthrough, today's the day to believe. If you've got a testimony that you need to celebrate with someone, today's the day. It says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And the great thing about a testimony is you've got to have a test. And it means you overcome. Come on. Hope thrives in the face of adversity. And so today, if you need anything, our Word Care team would love to believe with you. Hallelujah. Pastor Robin, let's wrap up. Do what you got to do. I'm excited about lively hope. Oh, live that every day of my life. Lively hope. Amen? Glory. Well, it's offering time. And, uh, Several ways to give. There's a there's an envelope in, in the chair in front of you, and or you can give online at thatwoodregularchurch.org. Uh, okay, <laughs> go to the website, and learn how to do that. All right, so let's say this together. This is a confession of our faith as we give. This is my seed. I sow it into the kingdom of God. Seed, do what you do best. I sow you to spread the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to go where I cannot. I sow you to grow, multiply, and 
Missing. We're just going to carry it on from glory to glory. Amen? Amen. See you later. 